I appreciated uh, Wayne's prayer and his reminder, we're all aware of it, the fact that there have been losses in this congregation and that there are many people who are dealing with serious illnesses right now. It's important that we keep that in mind, and I know we all uh, grieve that to our own different degrees. But I also really appreciate, and I was thinking about the, the hymn that Michael sung, Count Your Blessings. And in thinking about that, today, this has been a really good day. Philip was here for the first time in nine months, really. Now he's going to get to be here regularly. I didn't notice her until later after I'd already mentioned that, but Gloria McElroy was back here with us today. We had a baptism today. And I'll brag on Jerry. I'm sure everybody saw it. when He might not want me to do that, but I'm sure everyone saw it when you came in. But when, now we have this wonderful new welcome table or, or booth out there that's, uh, that looks great and will be really useful to us. And so all that's to say, to keep things in balance, uh, yesterday was a hard day, and I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but today was a good day, and we should thank God for that and always keep those things in mind. With all that said, we want to turn to our lesson this evening, and our word study tonight is on judgment. And I want to begin looking in Acts chapter 17. This is Paul in the city of Athens. Paul is addressing the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers there on Mars Hill. And if you remember, he's walked around and he's seen this idol dedicated to the unknown God, and that in particular really grieves him. But he uses that as a jumping-off point for his sermon, and he says, this one that you worship in ignorance, he's the one I'm going to proclaim to you. And he talks about this unknown God who made the world and everything in it, and then he reaches the climax of his sermon, and he says that the times of ignorance, that is worshiping that unknown God, when they continued uh, to sort of do their own thing, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So Paul tells us that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 27 tells us that it is appointed to man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Now most people in this world don't like to think about judgment any more than those ancient Athenians did. It's not a very popular topic. But someday we will, each and every one of us, stand before God in judgment, and he will either pronounce us guilty or not guilty, or really better, guilty or guilty but pardoned. Each of us faces that. It's inevitable. And at judgment, it will be too late for us to change things. There won't be any second chances. We won't have an opportunity to explain to God what our intentions were or what we meant to do or to try to offer up excuses for why we didn't do what we should have done. 
Scripture has a good deal to say about judgment. We've talked, even in this series of Sunday evening lessons, about some really important and, I think, encouraging concepts, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, those things that are just boundless and amazing to us. But Scripture just as certainly talks to us about the judgment that is coming. And it opens in the very first pages of Scripture, really, talking about judgment. We encounter that fact in the story of Adam and Eve. And we've talked about Adam and Eve in this series of lessons, too, because there are many foundational concepts that emerge from that story. But one thing that emerges from that is the certainty of judgment. They were disobedient to God, and they suffered as a consequence of that. Judgment was made upon them. And this wasn't just a God acting out. It wasn't just a a slap that he gave them because uh, they irked him in some way. This was an inevitable consequence of their disobedience. It was the direct result of their rebelliousness to God. And that's always true of God and his judgment. God never punishes us out of malice. He never punishes us out of spite. It's simply the consequence of the choices that we make, the actions that we take. Now, sometimes we do find in Scripture that judgment comes hard on the heels of some sort of injustice, some sort of bad action. Just to give you one example, a story most of us here tonight probably remember. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 21. But there's a fellow named Naboth. Naboth is stoned to death, and dogs come, and they lick up his blood there by the side of a pool. Not too many days after that, we read about dogs again licking up blood by that very same pool. But this time it's not Naboth's blood, it's royal blood. It's the blood of Ahab, the king of Israel. And that's because he had a direct hand in the death of Naboth. He wanted his vineyard, and that's why Naboth was killed. This is just a good practical example, an object lesson of what the... Old Testament writers are convicted of, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. But that's the Old Testament, right? Sure, that sort of uh, judgment, that punishment, we find that on the Old Testament, but the idea is that, well, the New Testament God is is different from the Old Testament God. In the Old Testament, God's about wrath and justice and vengeance and things like that. But in the New Testament, God's all about love and mercy. We're not going to find too much about judgment there, are we? In fact, if anything, in the New Testament, that emphasis on judgment stands out even more sharply than it did in the Old Testament. In our text that I read just a moment ago here from Acts 17, Paul is speaking to intellectuals there, Greek philosophers on the Areopagus. And he says to them that at one point, God was willing to overlook their ignorance, but now he's fixed a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness. Paul also reasoned before the Roman procurator Felix. He was making defense, and it says there that he reasoned with Felix about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. 
This same Paul writes in Romans about the fact that God is going to judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul has a lot to say about judgment. And that could go for several other writers in the New Testament too. So the question is, where did Paul and where did these other fellows get this idea about judgment? Well, partly they got it from the Old Testament. But in particular, they got it from Jesus himself. And I think that there are many people in this world who would find that particularly shocking because the popular conception of Jesus to a lot of people, and I'm thinking particularly here people who are not religious, but they want to sort of use uh, Jesus as a bludgeon for Christians, uh, they have this misconception that Jesus is this guy who was all about uh, love and tolerance and live and let live and man you do your thing and I'll do mine and we just will all get along and be happy and uh, the hippie Jesus I've heard someone describe him that way but in fact no one no one speaks more sharply more harshly about judgment than Jesus does and we find that in parable after parable that he tells the man with one talent was cast into outer darkness. And that wasn't because he'd failed to gain five or he'd failed to gain three talents. It was because he did nothing. He buried his talent. He failed to put it to use. That foolish man who built his house on the sand, he found that when the storm came that his whole life's work was wrecked. Why? Because he made foolish choices. The five foolish virgins weren't let in to the wedding feast. And the problem that they had separated from the rest, it was simply because of their lack of preparation. Jesus, in fact, actually pronounced judgment on the city that he loved. And these words come right on the heels of that triumphal entry we talked about at the beginning of our sermon this morning. Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And of course, 40 years later, that sentence was executed, not to appease an angry God, but again, as a direct consequence of their disobedience, their unfaithfulness. So in other words, to refuse to take the concept of judgment seriously is to refuse to take Scripture seriously. And it's to refuse to take the words of Jesus seriously. So in the little bit of time we have left, I want us to consider briefly just a, a few facts about judgment together this evening. First of all, we will all be judged. Now, we've already touched on this, but I think it's worth re reiterating. Our text that was read a few moments ago, Tristan read it from the psalmist. It says that he will judge the world in righteousness. Paul quotes that 
verbatim. That's what he says in Acts 17. He will judge the world in righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says that he will judge the world. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is obvious. Yeah, sure, we know this. But it's worth remembering. We need to really try to bring this home to ourselves. There's no escape from judgment. No one's immune to it. He'll judge the living and the dead. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. That's important because we don't like to be judged. That's not something we want to think about. You know, some of those same people who have that idea of Jesus as this non-judgmental fellow, uh, usually those same ones are the people who will quote as their favorite verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. That's a favorite Bible verse of non-Christians. But judgment is coming. It's inevitable, whether we like it or not. And there's no excuse that we can make. There's no place that we can hide. There's no way we can avoid it. When we think about that, we need to think about the way we're going to be judged. What's the basis of our judgment? Well, we'll be judged by our actions. I've mentioned a time or two already, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, where Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but he goes on from there and he says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we'll be judged for our actions, but of course that's a, a broad category. Can we say anything more specific? Well, we could say a lot of things more specific, but I don't want to keep us here all night. So let's just think about a, a couple of items that are worth noting that are specifically mentioned in relationship to judgment. We'll be judged by every idle word that we speak. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 12. He says there in verses 36 and 37 that at the judgment we'll give account for every idle word. That sounds pretty harsh at first glance, doesn't it? The fact that, that every word that we speak, that we're going to be judged based on that. And I think we're tempted to sort of be like Job there and arguing with God. You know, Job at one point, he says to God essentially, what, what is it to you if I sin? What harm does it do to you, O watcher of mankind? Maybe we feel a little bit like that when we hear that we're going to be judged by every idle word we speak. But what is the idle word. Well, the English Standard Version, idle word, is what most of us probably have in our heads. That comes from the King James. The ESV translates that as every careless word. This is the unguarded word. This is the word that we speak off the record. This is the word that reveals who we really are. As Jesus puts it in another place, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's really the problem here. It's not so much what it is that we speak carelessly, it's what that reveals about us. Jesus simply declares here that we're going to be judged for who and what we really are. Not the pretense, not the mask that we wear to hide our real selves from everyone else, not that veneer. No, we're going to be judged 
by who and what we really and truly are underneath. Our character determines our destiny. Our words only reveal that. We'll also be judged by the kindness that we demonstrate or that we fail to demonstrate, in particular to our brothers and our sisters. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives us a picture of judgment, and we won't read through this in detail because I read the whole scene in our sermon last week. But in this scene, he pictures to us two groups divided up here at the judgment, and both of these two groups are seemingly surprised based on their reactions to what Jesus says. There were some who were surprised at being turned away, and there were some who were surprised because they get to enter into the eternal kingdom. What was the difference between those two groups? Well, simply that one had failed at being kind. One had failed in treating their brothers and sisters the way they ought. One hadn't demonstrated the love that they ought to have. Whereas the other had hearts so full of love that they went out of their way to care for people who were hungry and who were sick and who were naked and who were imprisoned. So you see, one more time, this is a specific, but Jesus is really just telling us again, we're going to be judged by who and what we really are. Ultimately, ultimately, this all boils down to the fact that we're going to be judged on the basis of our attitude toward Jesus Christ. That's the fundamental test. That's the only thing that really matters. It's whether or not I love the Lord. And that's because if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. We'll be obedient to him. The rest of this whether we're talking about the things that we say or whether we're talking about those good deeds that we do to those who are in need of kindness or whether we're talking about giving to the church or work of the church or worshiping God or whether we're talking about faithfulness in general. It doesn't matter. All of these are outgrowths of whether or not we really love the Lord. As Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Or again, 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. Fundamentally, we're all going to be judged based on whether or not we love the Lord. Because if we love him, we're going to be obedient to him. And those are the actions that will be judged. One great certainty that we have is that one day we will all stand before God in judgment. That's the affirmation of Scripture. That's the affirmation of Jesus himself. And it reminds me of a story I read uh, several years ago, and this is just a sort of parable, I suppose. But it's a story about a runaway horse. It's out of control. It was being ridden by a drunken man. 
and a judge happened to see it. He was the only one who was around, and at great risk to himself, he managed to stop that horse, and he saved that man's life. Well, not too long after that, that drunken man murdered someone. And it just so happened that he appeared in that judge's court. He was tried and found guilty. And before the judge pronounced sentence, he asked the man if he had anything to say in his own defense, if there were any mitigating factors so that he ought not to sentence him to death as the law allowed. And the man said, well, judge, don't, don't you know me? You saved my life just a few weeks ago. And the judge solemnly replied, that day... I was your savior. Today, I have to be your judge. Jesus entreats us today as our savior. But one day, we're going to stand before him as our judge. And we don't want to wait until that day to make changes if we need to in our life. It'll be too late. So on that day, what are we going to hear him say? We hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Or will he say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. What's it going to be? If you need to make changes in your life to make sure that you hear on judgment day, well done. You have the opportunity now while we stand and while we sing.